the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. Well, that's, why this, that's why my hair is straight. That's why your hair is straight. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back. Oh, my gosh. How was your summer? What'd you do? My summer was amazing. It was a whirlwind. I, in the beginning, was entirely focused on getting licensure and the exam that I had to take for that, which was grueling and... Mm-hmm. I cried when it was done. Mm-hmm. It's like hell. Um, and then it, that felt so good. It was been such a long journey to get to here. I mean, it's been years since I went back to grad school, went yeah. to grad school every year, then started working and just slowly getting to this place. It was like this, it, it was this very big, like something that I wanted so badly. It kind of reminded me of my divorce actually a little bit. And then once you get to it, I wanted it to be over, but then it's like, well, now what? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like that feeling of like, especially with my guests, like, yeah, like I've spent the last two years of my, with the, like fighting for this and in, in focusing on it and absorbed with it. And then that feeling of like, when it was done, it was, I was so happy, but also mm-hmm. like, now what do I do with my life? <laughs> so um, that was, that was the summer. I didn't have my kids for July and then I had them for August. So August was just crazy juggling everything, having yeah. them full time and trying to figure out how to work. Um, yeah. How is yours? Well, you were working, right? Yeah, I was, uh, I was working at a day camp. I was helping out at a day camp in the Valley here. A buddy called me up. He runs one and says, we need an extra pair of hands. Can you come help out? So I said, sure. It was a great way. I got to spend some more time with the boys and got to be around kids all summer, which was a lot of fun and just got to what were out. you doing I was you know program directing make supervising making sure everyone right. was safe and that you know we were you know uh, inviting lawsuits and things like that uh you know but uh it, it was great it was really just a nice simple way just to kind of go and you know do something useful with my time and like I said be around my kids a little bit more uh and be in the sun and have a little <laughs> bit of a fun kind of summer experience uh you know yeah did something crash in the background my 10 year old is cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Notice I had zero flinch response. I, I realized that. That's what, I was so impressed this, with this that. This is the response like, of a seasoned mom. Exactly. <laughs> Me, I'm concerned when there's too much silence. I'm like, if there's silence, it probably means someone's dead or unconscious. Right? Mm-hmm. Noise like, is okay. Whatever. <laughs> God. Yeah, it was a good summer. It was a good summer and now teaching. You know, so it's just getting up every morning and having the lesson plans and going in there. What subject are you teaching? It's Judaics. It's Judaic studies, you know, so it's something specific, philosophy or like halacha. Well, certainly it's kind of like all those things wrapped up in it. Right. We covered what's the major themes and values in the Torah. So we do a deep dive into that on a regular basis. And are you creating the curriculum from scratch, whatever you want, or they have a basis? No, they have a structured curriculum uh, that goes deeper as you get older in the program and much more challenging as well. Um, I, what I like is that I get to be right in the thick of it. So it's creative and fun. We're going to set We're set up to do some real fun arts and crafts activities with the kids, too. And they have a wonderful creative net- nature and energy to themselves. I put on some music in the classroom the other day while they were working on a project and they kept making requests. And they were I mean, it's a wonderful, vibrant Jewish community. So they were making requests of Israeli artists that I didn't even know of. So they're teaching That's me something cool. already. But so yeah. like I started playing the songs and they were singing along and then a couple of them were like, can we dance? So I said, sure, go right ahead. And it, it, it felt really good just to How create old a nice, you? they're fourth graders. So, you know, they're nine, 10 years old. Right before they become assholes. Exactly. <laughs> and I have one of those fifth graders now. So uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's like right before middle school. Yeah, they're, it, it's really so interesting just to watch them so grow. Funny. Side know. note, because I want to come back to that, but I, I yeah. have this client who's in eighth grade and I've been seeing her for a while. So we've got a pretty strong rapport. And for the first time ever, for, for like two years, she told me about this boy that she loved in fifth grade. Hmm. And she t- is talking like, I mean, 
it's so funny because I want to go into that mode of like the parent mode of like you'll be fine you're only in fifth grade but as a therapist I really have to validate but she's talking like she's met the love of her life she's like it she literally said it took me this long to find somebody who gets me like this and I don't think I'll ever find anybody like him again oh my god <laughs> I'm like also, he pressure. was also in fifth grade. Right. So I'm like, what? The shared. <laughs> it was funny. But um, back to the curriculum stuff. I happen to love, love, love creative curriculum yeah. stuff. It was one of my, should I go into more of the education route? So if you ever like want to brainstorm or just be like, oh, this is the topic and I need a, a creative idea, totally text me. I love that stuff. Well, I would love to, and I, and I yeah. probably will, but certainly something we're trying to do is get the kids to see themselves as part of whatever story we're focusing on and have them, you know, kind of interpret that through art in one way or another. So we just started some great creative projects and we're going to hopefully develop a nice kind of book for them to take home. That would be really a lot of fun. That is awesome. Very cool. Is your yeah. house all crazy and whatnot because Rosh Hashanah is right around the corner? No, I'm going to Chevy. Actually. Are you really? You're going yeah. to your friend. Okay. So, so she's I, got everything all crazy at her place? Well, this, this is my big Rosh Hashanah high holiday debate. This would be actually interesting to put on the podcast. So yeah. maybe if you want to splice. But my ex, is a, my ex is a chazan. And right. he's been doing that for many years and in Florida, in New York. Uh-huh. So they fly him in. He's got a very, very, very good voice and uh-huh. highly sought after. And so he has only taken the kids once they're old enough to be completely self-sufficient because sure. he's working, right? Sure. So he cannot parent. I know and that's like. very clear. And I totally understand that. So uh-huh. first my son went, I think when he was around bar mitzvah and then the next daughter went when she was bat mitzvah and she was so looking forward to it, but they're completely self-sufficient. And that divides our custody during yeah. the high holidays. And it leaves yeah. me with the youngest who cares the least. <laughs> oh, so it, goes. So yeah. it always puts me in this tough position of like, I don't really care. And how much yeah. am I supposed to go? I can't ignore the holiday. She's like mm. she's, She knows that there's a holiday and I can't completely not create something. Right. But also it's a lot for go all out. Am I making four meals? What is it? Six meals? It's crazy it when you so think much. about it. Yeah. Um, and so it's always this in-between place. And then now it's even harder because there is still COVID and, you know, our people have yeah. guests and that. Yeah. So my solution was to go to Chevy because Chevy has a dog and that will completely distract her. <laughs> 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 that is the entire mindset behind it. And it makes my life so easy. So but I- I'm, I'm staying till after Yom Kippur right oh so you're chilling at her place you're like hunkering down I'm moving in because wow because I had the same problem with Yom Kippur it's even harder right and and just having her occupied and busy and also Chevy has kids and there's only four school days in between and I do everything online this is why I try to find friends who have video games instead of play dates with them (laughs) we don't do video on Shabbos so that so she she doesn't do that I can't plug her into that we do nothing but video on Shabbos. That's not true. We do lots of outdoor time and friendship time too, but like it's certainly been a lot more ever since the school year started and we haven't been doing a lot of TV during the school week. So Saturday morning becomes their time to do it, but you know, is what it is. Yeah. How do you split the holidays? Um, you know, this year with everything going on, we decided to keep the boys actually in school. We just thought that was the safest option. So they're going to go to school for the first day. I'm going to work actually Rosh Hashanah and help out in the valley at the same synagogue I was at for uh, the summer. I do some team school programming. Is open on Rosh Hashanah? They go to a public charter school. Even school. here, the schools are closed on the public schools are closed on Rosh Hashanah on the high holidays. You're in a very Jewish area. Pasadena is not that Jewish. I guess so. Like Florida, <laughs> they know might, their. That might be the case with the public schools in Los Angeles County. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe uh, not even all of them, but depends on the area. But, um, and I certainly have off for work. So I'm going to be helping out, like I said, at that synagogue. And then I'll take the boys for Tashlich on, on Wednesday. Um, you know, and that'll be, I think, a good and appropriate activity for them. Probably, I think, the most significant one for them as well, in addition just to things like, you know, hearing the shofar being blast and eating apples and honey and, you know, learning to make right what they've done wrong, growing from their mistakes. 
um, you know, if I can give them those major themes and it'll have been a successful Rosh Hashanah, I'll be happy with that. Wow. Another year, another holiday. Yeah. I like how the pandemic has kind of forced us to think creatively about those things. Very true. And still things um, are pretty conventional, right? It's still kind of services the way they're normally delivered and prayer during, you know, delivered the, the normal way it's delivered. Are, is your synagogue open and functioning? Well, we're not members of a particular synagogue, but the synagogue where, you know, the one that's affiliated with the day school that I teach for, they're open and running. They've got everything going. Um, you know, it looks like they're setting up for some things in person, but they have a real high standard, right? You have to be vaccinated and you also have to maintain all the safety protocols that they have in place while you're there. And if you're not vaccinated, you're not getting on campus. And they said that for parents, you know, of day school students, your child may be going here, but if you don't have a vaccination, you're not coming on campus, How which do I thought they, was really wonderful, actually. Do you have to have, carry your card with you? Uh, they know that I've been vaccinated. They have proof of that. I've signed stuff and all that stuff. So they, they know I'm good and all the teachers have been verified in that way. So the teachers come and go like that. But right. parents who do you have to wear a mask? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. All the precautions are in place, hand washing, social distancing. It's difficult because kids don't really know how to socially distance they're so terrible at boundaries as it is so you know <laughs> and and have there been you've been in school for two weeks now right well classes for actually a week orientation for two weeks prior to that so and no big outbreaks just watching her I, I don't even know if i want to go near that or speculate but no there hasn't been anything i'm just afraid of you know jinxing it in some way everyone what are the numbers like in in California. Yeah. That happened at the right summer now. camp, actually. That happened at the day camp. There was a big outbreak? There wasn't a big outbreak, but there were two uh, moments where uh, pods needed to be sent home because there was someone who, you know, sibling got infected or something like that, or someone in the bunk, you know, got infected or something like that, and everyone needed to be quarantined for two weeks. Wow. So that hasn't happened to school, thank God, and we're, you know, working so it won't. But, you know. It is crazy. I started this summer thinking we, at the end of it, you know, like things are changing. We're Everyone did. Trending towards normal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think we should also just touch base on relationships too. That might be a good thing since the summer. <laughs> so our next podcast or subsequent at one point, I want to talk about how this podcast broke up a relationship for me for you uh-oh yes <laughs> and i i think we should actually talk about it on the podcast okay let's get um, meta it's so not bad next... it's, yeah it's, okay. it's not a bad thing it's, it's a very interesting thing and um i was seeing somebody not jewish and he i didn't push the podcast on him yeah so but he, he probably found it well, he, I talk about it a lot. So sure. he knows that it exists. And then um, we've been away. He's been tra traveling for the past month. And he started listening to a podcast as kind of a way to like, he's, he's in a different time zone. Is, uh, to stay, he's like, I just hear your voice and staying connected. Wow. And it's been a very big struggle this whole time of what's the real potential here, right? Of Is there actually something? And mm. he was... Oh, we can also talk about um, that show because he was. We watched My Unorthodox Life together. Did you see it? Uh, no, and, I've heard things, oh, okay. but I haven't watched okay, it. Okay, so, so that, that brought up a lot because I was yeah. reacting to it and it brought yeah. up a lot of conversation between the two of us. And he was very well aware of what, how hard that would be to actually pursue in like real life, moving in together, like long term with my parents and with my kids. But until he listened, oh, just dying. but until he listened to the podcast, I don't even know what we had one episode where we talked about dating and marrying non-Jews, sure. but he's like, the more I listen, the more I realize what a big problem this actually is and where oh, your wow. values are, right? And like how your values are your kids and family. Mm -hmm. And and it wasn't the full blown thing, but it was definitely an instigator in the final end. Wow. So damn you, Noam. I'm sorry. Hey. <laughs> I don't know. 
he also had some interesting feedback about us so that's that, that's been interesting i'm curious to know what that is what was the feedback he says first of all that it's really good oh and he doesn't pander like he would tell me straight up um and he says it's he's like there's never and he admits he's like maybe because i'm interested i don't find it boring he's like there's never an episode that i want to turn it off like there's a, it always it always is interesting what you're talking about he's totally not jewish so that was good feedback that's cool um the feedback against me is that i deflect a lot <laughs> ah okay all right so it's actually your job to, to hold you accountable a little bit more yeah okay. and and i it. and i was i'm aware of it because and i think i've talked about it on here i'm always hyper aware of what i'm putting out that sure not just in terms of i have a professional life as well but also so much of this is Ellie's story. So much of this are my kids' story. How much do, you, how personal can I get? Doesn't yeah. belong to me. Yeah. And that's a really big problem in this space. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's a, it was a couple of things all together, but that was definitely uh, a feedback. Okay. There have been times yeah. I, I, I've told women that I've dated that I've that we do this, and they're like, "You can talk about me on the podcast," and I'm like, "That's okay. I don't know if I want to." Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like but you have my permission I'm like okay thanks again I, it's also my story like I don't know that that's something I really want to share right now but if I do they want, want you to let name you know. them I don't know if they want me to name them but I, I it seemed like they like the idea of being brought up in the podcast at least um or at least that they were giving me permission from the outset to speak honestly about it which was nice and generous but I was also kind of like I don't know if I want to <laughs> right like yeah I invited him to speak on the podcast he said no Oh, really? That would be, I don't know. That's ballsy. That's really You could ballsy. probably convince him. Maybe. Oh, wow. Very curious yeah. about that one. So yeah, we'll get into that at some later point. Yeah. What do you, um, so, so yeah, so I, I, I've been thinking a lot about relationships uh, as we go to holidays and whatnot. Um, we talk about this idea of um, mitzvot, you know, commandments or obligations between humanity and God, and then humanity and fellow humanity, you know, fellow human beings. And I think you could also make the argument, you know, about our relationships with ourselves, right? This is the whole mitzvah ben adam l'makom, that's us between us and God, mitzvah ben adam l'chavero, that's us and humanity. And then the other one I'm making the argument for is mitzvah ben adam l'atzmo, right? How we relate to ourselves and how we care for ourselves or how we see ourselves obligated to ourselves in that way. I'm really focused on the idea that like this year, this Rosh Hashanah, we should be thinking about how our relationships have been impacted by the quarantine and by the pandemic, right? On a full kind of like spectrum, not just in terms of people we have deep relationships with, uh, but also people we've had kind of tangential relationships with and also people we don't even really know, just like people in our neighborhoods, in our community uh, 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 that we might see, but we don't necessarily relate to. And yet we have relationships with them because we share a space with them, right? If something happens on my block, it's likely that it's not only going to impact me, but it's going to impact my neighbors. And then I'm forced to think about, well, what do I really think about in terms of them versus me, right? Who would I prioritize more in, in any given circumstance? And so I think we're just really at a position of thinking about like, do we forgive friends and relationships that may not have worked out throughout the pandemic because we were put in a position to say like, well, if I really wanted to call that person, I would have. And if they wanted to call me, they really would have too. And just being honest with ourselves about that. And then also thinking about the relationships that we did open up to, right? Because other ones fell by the wayside and other ones that we did you know, have the opportunity because other people were looking. I think of the friendships that I developed over Clubhouse. You and I developed a great friendship, right? Starting out, you know, on the dating apps and then progressing into this wonderful creative effort, right? That was something that I couldn't have predicted, but has then become something that's taken up a, a good amount of space in my life for really wonderful reasons. Uh, and yet, is that also a result of there not being something else there, right? Some other relationship that wasn't present. Uh, and so, and certainly I think that's the marriage, right? You could say that obviously, right? If I was married, I wouldn't be talking about this with you. So 
I think that's a major focus of what's going on right now, because if we're going to go into the next year, we have to think about what are the quality of our relationships that we really enjoy? And do we want to replicate those in other ways? And what are the relationships that we know we need to jettison and get rid of because we know they're not healthy, or we know they're really not that just that a priority to us, so we have to be realistic about it. I've been thinking about those a lot during this period, particularly as I also think about, you know, intimate relationships that I've been in, um, you know, and how those fit into my life and where those are going. And then the last part about it is kind of, you know, what do I think about humanity, right? If I'm not willing to get vaccinated and I am vaccinated, but that certainly says something, which is to say that like, God forbid I could carry the COVID I don't want it to spread it to other people, which is also why I wear a mask because I don't want to pick it up from other people. And so I think that says something. I think people have had a chance to express surely a thought about how they feel about science and what they want to do for their own personal selves. But inherently there's also an expression about how you feel about the rest of humanity. Because in a world where you can communicate diseases simply by being around people, you have to think about your impact on others and even people you don't even know and potentially their family members. So what do you really think about relationships? What do you really think about other people? I think it's a major question that this pandemic has put in front of us that we need to take a look at for this Rosh Hashanah. If we're going to take a look in the mirror. It's going to be about what do I really think about my relationships and what do I really think about relating to other people? So you bring up a lot of really good points and I want to kind of address them backwards because I think really the, the underlying fundamental question, especially when you're talking about community and relationships and responsibility is more, what do you think about yourself? And I'll get back into that a little bit more of how I see that, especially talking about people's reactions to COVID and vaccinations and mask wearing, where I think there is this struggle to define and express yourself and I, and any imposition seems like it is um, a danger, a threat to your sense of self. Huh. And I think that it's not just a conversation about relationships and even about prioritizing community that it has that deeper sense of, well, we as a society, have we done a good job raising people who have a strong sense of self, which is really a question that you can ask about any relationship. The weakest, the, a relationship is only as strong as its weakest link. That's been told to me. I've said it to other sure. people. Do you, do you want to be the weakest link? I can see that. Um, but, but kind of moving backwards to how you started it, uh, it's, it's interesting because being raised in a religious environment, the values and the priorities that you're taught to uphold and prioritize are usually religion and the relationship with God and commandments and sanctity. That is often top of the line. And as I shift away from that, and also as I get older, I think that there's age and probably my divorce is a factor also, I see how important relationships are in life and I feel that actually relationships are the priority are fundamental that's really what we have at the end of the day are the relationships that we formed are the relationships that we can rely on the relationships that teach us things the relationships that challenge ourselves the relationships that give us support and comfort that is a happy life I think that we are we crave connection and a relationship so badly and the pandemic has shown us that a lot of what happens when it's taken away or what happens when those opportunities for connections are taken away. And like you said, what happens when we clear up space? There was so a, the, yeah, yeah. No, there, there was a, a scientist, uh, Robin Dunbar, Dr. Robin Dunbar, who said that we only have like cognitive capacity for like five or six really deep relationships. And there's like a hierarchy, right? And so we focus our energy on those five to six real deep relationships. Do you know of anyone who you would consider in those five to six really deep relationships who you can rely on in that way? You can have deep conversations with that will challenge you and love you no matter what, that are part of your inner core. Who are they right now? Do you think you could name? Chevy. Sure. 
much. I mean, my person, sure. um, my siblings. Yeah. Um, people, certain people that I've dated yeah. are still in that realm. Yeah. And then I have some other close friends, but, uh, you know, I have Michelle who lives in Israel and right. a few others who are just people that I can rely on. And actually, and I'm going to ask you the question yeah. back in a minute, but yeah. relationships is something that I struggle with very much. Um, not because I don't value them. I actually came up with a disease that I, I like I diagnosed disease? it. I called, so, no, I made it up and everyone thinks it's made up, but I'm like, guys, this is, this is real. It's called social <laughs> disorderism. <laughs> I am going to get it in the next DSM. It's, it's legit. called social disorderism. Well, I made up the title. But Meaning <laughs> what? They're very real. It's, I have a hard time keeping in touch. As you know, I have a hard time responding in time. I'm yes. not that yep. I don't, I, terrible. it's terrible. And I know it frustrates people so much. I own it. I get that. I That's am, accountability, baby. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I have, and I, it sits with me because I want to do differently. And there's so many reasons that, that go into what's going on, but I'm not great at it. And the people in my life who are my biggest, that I count on are people that accept me. Not yeah. that they don't, they don't get frustrated, but see the big picture and understand and are accepting and are forgiving. And I keep coming back to those. And those are the, the really strong friendships and relationships in my life. So she says that some of those slots are taken up by family members and by, uh, you know, a, a really intimate partner, like a, a spouse or something like that. Right. So those are the people who you really have a tendency to carve out space from the other ones right? You lose focus on because there really may not be that much in common, right? Or you just don't have the energy to welcome that in, them into that inner circle. Who For are me, your five? Yeah, um, definitely my parents uh, and my siblings. Um, and then also uh, I got a buddy, Dobin, uh, who's been with me since high school and whatnot. So, you know, we check in every now and then, which is really good. Um, and then uh, certainly uh, a woman or two that I've dated before. Uh, who has become really close, um, someone I can confide and be honest with in the dating scene. Yeah. Yeah. And there's certainly space open for other people. I'm taking applicants. <laughs> is this an announcement? Right. <laughs> no one's got one slot open. <laughs> for, for an inner circle member. <laughs> I am full. I just want to let everybody right. know that I'm at capacity. He <laughs> <laughs> comes with a members only jacket though. <laughs> worth it so slots <laughs> are open people <laughs> and and when you think about those people who who have made it in the oh. in the know inner circle is there a common denominator something that they a feeling that you get or something that they provide that you notice is common throughout yeah uh you know and included in that i would say is also my friend paul uh who i've known uh, through high school too you know people from back in the day who I grew up with, um, you know, people who I've known since childhood and, you know, have known me since then, um, who don't have to explain myself to. And who do you see said the, that the bigger picture. You said that the women that you dated, so she wasn't there from back in the No, day. they're not all those people, but I think there is a shared level of vulnerability that I've been able to express with them, right? And so that in and of itself is, for me, a bridge to that type of relationship. So it's the people that you feel you can truly be real and vulnerable with. Yeah. yeah, because it does also come down to exactly what you said too, in the sense of that, like they get to see the bigger me, right? It's not just me in those moments. It's, you know, me at large, which is really, I think the benefit of all of it is that you get to truly be seen. And that's those are rare. Yeah, but that's the point. And that's why you hold on to them. Were there any relationships, though, that and you don't have to name specific people or anything like that. I don't think that's the point. But, you know, relationships that were just like, you know, what, it's not worth the time. Right. I don't want to invest the energy in this. And it's clear that they don't want to invest the energy in me. And relationships that just fell away. Friendship, romantic or either. Either. Well, I think romantic is a hard one, because if you don't feel like it's worth the time, then you're not interested. Right. So friendship is different because friendship doesn't have that same emotional investment. When you're dating somebody, if you're not interested or you're not wanting, you don't want to invest time, you're not interested. Right. right but you're telling me that like there weren't people who you expected to call or things like that and they just didn't. Because that's the other thing is that like, even if you only have cognitive capacity for so much, right, 
you still in theory are open to other people establishing a deeper relationship with you, or at least I am, right? So let me speak from an I perspective. In theory, I am still open to other people wanting to establish a deep relationship with me. I'm not opposed to that. But my point is to say, did you have expectations of people that would at least reach out to say like, hey, how are you handling this pandemic? Even if it were only like every couple months and still they didn't do that at all. You know, so what comes along with deep accountability for sucking and having social disorder. <laughs> <laughs> you don't is, have to rely on other people. I No, I have no entitlement to uh, any feelings of frustration or expectations <laughs> of how other people should act socially. So I gave up all rights to that. I have, I, it would be laughable even beyond somewhat insane for me to have expectations. I'll be honest with you. I'm terrible at keeping in touch with people too. Okay. I'm not going to lie. And so I could hold myself accountable in the same way and saying they probably thought the same thing about me, but that's what I'm asking. Right. Even if you think that like, fine, right. Like you hold yourself accountable by not reaching out to people. And so therefore other people get a pass when it comes to you, they're still surprised that there are people who didn't call. That's what I'm saying. I think I wasn't surprised. I don't think so. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't for, but, but this, this isn't a new conversation I'm having. This is truly something that I've been trying to work on and that I acknowledge. And it's been yeah. a conversation I've had okay. with many people socially. And so I just feel that I have no right to, um, to even have that expectation or disappointment if somebody doesn't show up in that way in my life. And, and, I'm not asking yeah. if you felt disappointed. I'm oh, asking oh, if I you're surprised. Call. Right, no, but like no, they, no. like I'm surprised they didn't call. Right, like shits hit the fan. The pandemic sucks. Right, the world's burning. All that stuff. Like what? How you just don't want to pick up the call, pick up the phone, and give me a call or send me a text? That sort of no, thing. No, okay. no, no. Nobody that came to my mind. No, yeah, because the people that did matter, those are the people that I was in touch with. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not, not so much. How about you? Yeah, I would have thought there would have been other people uh, that would have reached out. And surely I was surprised at myself for not reaching out at them too. And I think that's- Well, that was part of your initial question. So yeah. You used the word forgiving. And I thought that was a little an interesting term to use because there doesn't necessarily have to be anger or something to forgive versus saying, is this person adding value to my life or not? And I, I do think I need about to it. keep them here? Yeah, and I think about it in terms of um, they, but they might not be adding value to your life, but that might not necessarily be a reason for jettisoning them away anyway, right? That like, they may not be contributing or, or, or detracting from your life and they could still just be there. My, my larger point is to say that like, I'm not talking about forgiveness in terms of being angry. I'm talking about forgiveness just in terms of like a loan sort of thing. You just forget about it, right? Like it doesn't take up space within you. And you're just like, all right, fine. It, it was extenuating circumstances. Everyone had their own shit to go through. Right. It's more the forgiveness of understanding than it is the forgiveness of releasing anger. Yeah, the forgiveness of, un it's an interesting, the forgiveness of understanding versus the forgiveness of releasing anger. Yeah. Are those two separate or are they the same experience? I think they're both. I think uh, certainly you release anger when you come to a point of understanding. I think the anger subsides when you try to understand someone and that's the larger point of it right? Like that you can be kind of critical about what the circumstances are and seek real truth in that. You can be hard-headed in that way, but you can also be soft-hearted in the sense that like people have shit going on and you can be forgiving towards them in that way by saying like they're human beings too and they've got something else going on in their life. I mean, we've, we've talked about this and if there's any message that I have learned personally through my divorce and professionally in the work that I do, it is seeing perspective and understanding, learning how to not take things personally. People just are doing their best to survive. And sometimes the things that they do seem like it's an intentional attack against you, but it isn't. It's either a defense mechanism or something. And that view and that perspective, I think has been really helpful for me in terms of being compassionate or forgiving or seeing it's not always about people out to get me or out to hurt me. No, they're going through their own stuff. And oftentimes I don't think they see the other person on the other side of it or what's coming through to them, right? They don't see kind of all the other things that are coloring 
their experiences, right? And, and, and what's also coloring the curtain, current experience that they're going through, the lenses that they're using. But what's worse is when you don't speak up about it or say anything, right? Because then you really never let people know what's going on. That was the interesting thing. There was another study and it was particularly about LGBTQ couples. Um, and it talked about those who didn't complain about their relationships, who didn't speak up in their relationships about stuff that wasn't working out. Those are the ones who suffered things like anxiety, depression, and dissatisfaction in their relationships over the long term and ended up turning to things like drugs and alcohol to deal with it. And so there's got to be space within there, right? Like, did you take an opportunity to at least say something to someone in your relationships, right? To say like, this isn't working, right? Like, I, I'm not happy about the fact that we haven't spoken, that it's been months during this pandemic, right? And I haven't heard from you. Because if you don't also take responsibility for that in that way, right, then you are creating this circumstance where you're just not going to be happy about the quality of your relationships. And you do have to take responsibility for that. That is something in which that does fall on you if you're not happy about that. For sure. People aren't mind readers. And right. actually, we were talking before about this talk that I was supposed to give this morning. And it's on the topic of fostering independence in young children. And that 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 experience of raising children who can be independent starts when kids are young around three and six and as parents if you're a parent listening um the things that children do when they're young that start to plant that seed of independence are as a parent our worst nightmare right when they say no or when they don't want to do what we ask or when they want to do something silly or really frustrating or totally not time efficient and we tend to shut it very quickly because we're busy and we don't have patience and because it's not practical and we say no 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 all the time and what that teaches to some degree is raising children who either don't know or don't feel that it's okay to ask for what they want and either show up in relationships expecting the other person to meet that need non-verbalized or just burying and burying those feelings and those needs because there's no space and no understanding that it's okay to express your needs and it's okay to say, I'm not okay with this. Yeah. And, uh, and that shows up. Well, and you're spending so much time around people in the pandemic, right? Like if, if some of the good ingredients to a relationship are time and spending, you know, that time together, if you turn all that stuff up or remove it in some way, how does it impact the relationships? And so you have to be able to tweak things along the way if you're spending more time with people. Right. If it's getting deeper and deeper and you don't have any distraction from that, you have to be able to speak up and say like, whoa, 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 we need an adjustment here, whether you're a kid or an adult. And you have to give kids the space for that, too, I think is what you're saying. Well, relationships are all about balance, which I think is a good lead into that initial conversation about having a strong sense of self that somebody else's needs aren't interpreted or experienced as a threat to your sense of self. Right. And that's that balance of, I'm good. I'm good with myself. I'm happy to cater or bend or make amendments and be flexible because I see the, the bigger picture. I see the relationship. I see the importance, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, a society, a community. I give because I'm part. And it's that experience of being able to forego some of your individuality for the sake of the common good. And I think that what we're seeing now and, you know, such a resistance to it really speaks to that core foundation of the way I see it, a sense of self. It's interesting too, like how many uh, on the dating profiles, I see people say things like a, a willingness to grow together and do the work together, right? To personal growth together. And I, that sounds a little bit like what you're talking about and also knowing that like, you know, as you grow, you become more confident in yourself. And so that way, when people do change and when they do still need to have their needs met, our livelihoods aren't threatened by that. Our sense of self isn't threatened by that because we are so secure in that as it is. And that's because we've been doing that personal work. And I would think that like one of the reasons why you wouldn't be threatened by someone else needing to get their needs met or growing in that way, why your sense of self isn't threatened is because as they grow into themselves, they complement you more, right? And, they, and I'm not saying identically, right? But at least in the sense of like, okay, we're both confident in ourselves and leading our lives. 
there's something beautiful about doing that together, even if they're not in total alignment. First of all, I'm just going to say that men don't usually put on their profiles. They're looking for someone to grow with. I realize that. <laughs> I don't see that often. Most men are looking for a princess or a partner in crime. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think I've said either one of those things. I've definitely said connection and things like that, but I haven't said princess or partner in crime. Good. Stay away from it. It's not hot. I will not. I will try not to. <laughs> At least to me. But I think that that's true. It's that it comes back to taking things personally. And it, when somebody expresses their needs, it's not a personal attack against you. It's this is what I want. Are you willing? Can you? And are you willing to meet me fully halfway somewhat? You know, let's figure out what it is, but we can't have that conversation until what we're talking about is put on the table. And often it's not put on the table. And it does also feel like we're entering an age where we start prioritizing needs of self much more so than the need of a relationship. Well, I think that just starts to settle in the longer you're single. <laughs> and maybe the older you get. It's like that cranky old woman. Like, ah, don't I'm touch my hair. <laughs> I'm comfortable here. Don't touch me. Exactly. So that's starting to really settle in. And that's, you know, there's, there's comfort and safety in being on your own. Yeah. Well, and there's that part of that Simon and Garfunkel song. We've talked about that before. I don't need to bring it up again but what it means not to make yourself vulnerable to people. But that's why I think it's so valuable, right? That's why I think that's a real question. If you're going to give that stuff away, how do you give it away in a way that it is treated as sacred, right? This is a real kind of like beautiful, when you think about it, you know the concept of Shemitah when you let the ground lay fallow and you don't harvest it, right? And you don't plow it over because you wanna just give it a rest. Well, this pandemic was in some ways a Shemitah for our relationships, right? You let you allowed everything just to kind of like lay there. And the ones but that was did- it? Some relationships got hyperactivated, right? But, Think that's about what, the but, but that's one of the things that I'm saying is that like it showed that stuff. The stuff that wanted to grow is gonna grow nonetheless, right? And the other stuff that didn't just didn't. So now you have it there, right? right. And you can go from it. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, you know, and that's a real wonderful thing. So if you're now going to pursue those relationships with a certain amount of depth, if you really have a better understanding of what you want out of your relationships, how are you choosing them move, moving forward, right? Clearly for me, right, I want them to be with people who are going to treat what I'm going to give them as sacred because that's the way I treat what they give me. And right? do you have a, it's a great question. So do you have a conscious or subconscious method? For determining who I really want to bring into my life in that way? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is that sacredness. Can I trust that will they take what I give them and at least treat it with a certain amount of sacredness? And how can you verify? Do you do these micro tests? That's a good question. There? I, I don't, I think that's a feeling sort of thing. It's a vibe. It's, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. I've definitely met someone who I feel like does that, that certainly feels really good. Someone I met over the summer, you know, so that feels really wonderful. But that is also something that I think matters in terms of platonic relationships as well. Well, let's focus on your newest relationship, <laughs> obviously. And we'll get back to yours too, since we're holding <laughs> you accountable now. Oh. Fine. Um, but we'll start but, sure, Doc. Well, just because yeah, you brought it up. Well, and it's also, <laughs> it's also recent and fresh. So yeah. what do you think was it about her or the dynamic that created that sense of this is someone I can trust, this is someone I can be vulnerable with? That's a good question. That's a really wonderfully reflective question. I think uh, in the sense that she probably brought up those things without my prompting it with the same level of seriousness or concern that I brought them up with. Right. So that shows me that she takes it seriously, that sort of thing. Yeah. So she shows that she has a value that she yeah. values vulnerability and communication. 
and what it was that we were talking about, right? What it was that I shared with her. Yeah. I think we test the ground. I think we put out small stuff, small stuff, and then we see how people react to that. I think it's subconscious. And I know certainly for me, there were uh, times where in past relationships, I didn't appreciate it, where things that I had shared or things that I would have considered intimate between me, myself and that other person were also shared casually. With other people? Yeah. How did you know? Um, because they came up like in the context of a party that we were at or something, you know, some other social circumstance, someone came full <laughs> around to like make a joke about it, pat me on the back, started as a joke. Right. And I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that you knew about that. Hmm. How do I feel? Yeah, that, that can ruin it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I think it's similar. I think it's starting when you get to know somebody so either if it's a, if you're dating if it's a new romantic interest or a new possible friendship it's noticing your points of connection what do we have in common whether it's history past experiences or values or the way we operate so certain characteristics i think that creates a pretty quick sense of trust oh this is someone i recognize or you know i see you in me and i see my experience in you so you you get it and that's all in our heads i think right but like, you must get this um and then i think so that's the immediate vibe that feels and then i think it's just i'm trying to think um in my last relationship what was it that i just got this sense of trust and i think it's just you see the reactions and yeah, I'm thinking about a previous guy I dated who was in a lot of um, psychoanalytic therapy. And it drove me nuts because he never made me feel validated and listened to, which is ironic because he tried to play my therapist and he would be like, what does it feel like to be angry right now? <laughs> or something like that, right? So it's like, okay, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this uh, for a therapist and, and I don't need you to reflect back to me right now. I want you to listen to what I'm saying and make me feel heard. And, and then, you know, other relationships were different. So the ones that I felt safe and valued were the, the ones that listened very well. Yeah. And reflected. And you know what, you know, what's actually very important for me, which, which is, I think, for me, integral for me trusting somebody is um, people who who hold me accountable. People, I, I, you know, when somebody is, you're doing great, you're great, oh, you're not wrong, and and not holding me accountable, I don't trust it fully. It's like ah, that can't be really true. Um, so it's the people that put my bullshit on the table in a loving way and say, Hey, this isn't okay. That makes me feel you are truly in this, right? I, and, that, and you're invested enough to be real with me. Cause either if it was too much or they weren't interested, they would leave, but, and they're also not placating me. And I've had that in romantic relationships and with Chevy. I talk about this all the time. My closest friend, if you're new to this podcast, my bestie, where we got divorced at the same time and would call each other up in those hard moments of struggling with dealing with our exes and trying to navigate that world. And I trust her without a question because she put me in my place many times. Like that's not the right thing to do or don't do that. Or you shouldn't have done that. And, and it creates this real sense of she's somebody that I can trust. Security. She's my best interest. Yeah. yeah. There's a security there. I certainly, uh, that's something that I'm appreciating from the woman I'm dating now. Yeah. Um, who's the same woman that I was talking about. Uh, she has that sense of accountability that calling me out on bullshit, which I do like, that it's fun uh, in many ways to kind of face that it makes it easier to also, I think, kind of face whatever bullshit I do put out there. Uh, and that is something I would like to give back to a relationship as well, because uh, it is fun doing that too. And the funny part about it is for as fun as it is for me, there have been times I've tried to do that in other relationships and it hasn't worked. Some people just don't want to be called out on their shit. They really don't. Well, that's a really interesting point because 
it's also really, really, really important how you call somebody out on their bullshit. And that makes the world of a difference on how it's received. So in the past, I'm talking even gently. I'm saying, can we talk about this? Can we just be direct about it? And even then people are like, uh, uh, like literally it gets hot for them in the room. Right. Yes. So some people, and those are not relationships that lasted clearly. Right. You have to be able to talk about those things. Yeah. Interesting. That's a, I never really thought so much about breaking down who it is and why it is we trust the people we trust. Get this. Unless you're willing to be honest about your relationships when it gets tough, you're going to find yourself quarantined within them by yourself. You How do you like that? <laughs> That's my Rosh Hashanah message. Break out of the relationship quarantine, friends. It's I not a pandemic of relationships. <laughs> Clever. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're back, friends. We're going to be coming at you with more episodes, more good conversations about our intimate dating lives, about things Stay that we, divorce. We have an upcoming episode about how this podcast ruined my life. Yes. Listen to how it ruined Sheva's life. I'm very curious about that one. And if you have anything you want to send us, you can find us on the World Wide Webs at www.thejewishdivorceproject.com or email us at thejewishdivorceproject at gmail.com. And we are all over social media, Facebook, Instagram. We don't tweet yet. No. Soon we should start TikToking. I disagree. I don't know how <laughs> to TikTok. I'm not interested. Uh, but, but you uh, can find us. We're out there. Reach out. New year, new Jewish year. What do you want podcasts. us to talk about? New podcasts, new topics. You know, I think this is the first time we're kind of cycling. We've reached a cycle. We may want to think about new intro music or anything. Please. We need to think of a facelift. We'll, we'll talk. All right, friends. Shana Tovah Matuka. Have a sweet and healthy and happy new year. Mm-hmm.